Welcome to Phone Booth Fighting, everybody, your twice-weekly podcast, courtesy of myself, Richard Hunter, and the two-time UFC heavyweight champion of the world, he's Frank Mir. Frank is in Sacramento. I am in Las Vegas. Frank, do you have me? I can hear you, man. All right. Now, anytime Frank travels, he is always in the company of a brood of children. I hear them in the background. Uh, have you uh, have you enlisted your requisite one or two extra kids in addition to the ones that you have sired? I have. Good. As always, I... good. Good. You know, a lot of a lot of guys, a lot of a lot of uh, you know, uh, top MMA stars travel with entourages. Uh, I guess, in a sense, you do as well. The difference is none of yours are old enough to get into any clubs. You just travel. Yes. With, yeah. Yeah, it keeps it safe. Plus, people underestimate them; they don't realize they're all little ninjas. That's a good point. That's a better good point. bodyguards. You know? That's right, and it makes your physical stature even more intimidating by comparison. Yeah, yeah. If you think about that. <laughs> all right, so let me set the scene on what's going on. Uh, this is uh, what well, you talk about guerrilla style taping, as uh, phone booth fighting is known for sometimes. This is uh, th- this is the epitome of it. So uh, Frank's linking up uh, by phone in Sacramento, where he's visiting the in-laws for the holidays. I'm in Vegas. It's of course UFC 207 Fight Week. I'm right outside the MGM Grand as we tape in the Prius. I just left the uh, official UFC 207 weigh-in, so we got some breaking news coming out of that. Now I'm also Frank. Have I'm, I'm leaving the weigh-ins and I'm headed over to the airport because I have to pick up a prostitute. So that's going to happen live on the air here. Uh, so you, you you're really going to hear kind of a day in the life of uh, of Frank and Richard and the uh, the drastic differences on uh, any given day as to what we're dealing with. Now now is is one is there a child being tortured in the background? Someone sounds very upset. It's my youngest. He's fighting hard. Bella, can you shut the door? I'm trying to escape noise. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty, pretty loud. Pretty loud back there in the background. All right. Let me know when you're. Let me know when he's when he's been muffled. Okay, that's about as good as it's gonna get. I'm inside the house with the door shut. Okay. Okay. Good. All right. So as I uh, make my way over to the airport, which luckily is right next door to the MGM Grand, let's talk about this uh, breaking news coming out of the weigh-ins. First of all, Ronda Rousey. Hits the scales first, 135 pounds on the dot for her championship title fight. Uh, she was first up, Frank, on the scales basically uh, 9 a.m. sharp when the official weigh-ins took place. Uh, got on the scale, hit 135 pounds, and then immediately got off the scale, not even waiting the requested five seconds that uh, the the PR team asked each fighter to wait so that uh, they could snap a few photos. They even tried to sort of call her back to the scale uh, to, to, to get back on for photos, and she wasn't having it. Now, she looked all business on the scales. I will tell you this, though, behind the scenes, uh, I just happened to walk in, uh, well, not walk in with her, but walk in at the same time. So I'm basically walking behind her. And, uh, you know, she seemed to be in a good mood. She was... Uh, 
telling some funny story and you know laughing along and that sort of thing so uh she didn't seem to be in a bad mood then but when she got on the scale she was all business a whole lot has been made you and i talked on the last episode about her psyche going into this thing uh what are your thoughts hearing that i mean she never has any trouble making weight but you know when you hear that you know she she's not even uh She's not even getting distracted from her media blackout for five seconds for still photographs. What What are your thoughts when you hear that? Again, I'm up in the air about it. It seems like, uh, you know, that her mentality is, uh, you know, changed gears. I don't know if it's a good thing that she's going to try to avoid the uh, attention of the media. But at the same time, it just, it just, I don't know, just... It's not her normal. I would think that you'd want to try to keep the same pace and rhythm as much as you could and only change the things that really you felt maybe affected your loss. And uh, I don't know if the media stuff really ever affected her losing last time as much as it was just purely, you know, a fighter skill-wise. So what I wanted to see her do was change things like her head coach. I think a lot of people would feel that, you know, that was definitely somewhere maybe that you can <laughs> find some improvement uh, you know, uh, for his in coaching, you know, maybe not lose him as a head coach in training, but you know, definitely as a coach in uh, in uh, uh, corner man. Right. Uh, I think that contributed to her losing more than you know, uh, and also poor game planning. But you know, it seemed like uh, you know, I didn't think the attention was what the problem was. So you know, it, 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 to me, it's coming off as somebody who's very nervous. And especially to really try, I don't know. And then also too, maybe it's a new marketing shtick. You know, she can't beat Connor what Connor does. I mean, he's uh, pretty incredible at the whole, uh, you know, uh, marketing aspect of being outlandish. Maybe she's going to go the route now that, you know, especially if you're telling me that her attitude was nice and calm and collective. Uh, maybe she's going to go the way that she shuns and hates fame and doesn't want anything to do with it. And she's just there to fight and get out of there. So, I mean, that could be her new shtick and, you know, and really hindsight's going to be the, the best uh, determining factor of, uh, you know, how this goes on because if she's successful Saturday, then all this was a good thing. If she fails on Saturday or Friday night, then she, uh, then all this was just the, uh, you know, the forewarning and the, uh, you know, the, uh, the uh, foreshadowing of what was to come. Yeah, interesting thoughts there. You know, maybe uh, she should, if if this seems to take and and the whole uh, playing the 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 villain role works, maybe she should uh, step it up a notch in the new year and attempt to negotiate having a fight that no one's allowed to attend. Maybe that. <laughs> Yeah. That would be good. Yeah. I don't know how that'd go over. Now, uh, yesterday we got. Well, they could just have ushers walking up and down. Yeah. And if you say a noise, clap or cheer, you're kicked out. Ooh. You could treat it like you know, like like a real serious library. That's a good idea. Or or, or also the uh, the ushers could be in charge of making sure everybody in attendance averts their eyes. Right. Uh, no eye. No direct eye contact yeah. with her. <laughs> with the cage. No direct eye contact with the octagon when she's inside it. There you Let's go. Start calling her uh, Ronda Medusa. Good one. Good one. Uh, so, all right. So that happened. Now, now yesterday, I think is a, a, a bit of a byproduct of this Ronda Rousey media blackout this week. We got the at least one day only return of the the infamous Dana White media scrum. He used to do these all the time uh, when when there would be weigh-ins, press conferences, things like that. Dana would pull up a chair and just start chatting with media, and uh, they would go long a lot of times. 
but uh, he stopped doing those quite a while back, and he did one yesterday, completely unannounced, and we all gathered around, and one of the first questions was, is this a sign of, you know, the return of the Dana White scrum? And he said no, that he's doing this uh, basically to make up for Ronda Rousey's not doing any media. And then the next question was, well, are, if, are you going to allow her to keep doing this? And he said, no, this is a one and done. Uh, the next time she fights, I'm going to expect it to be back to, to usual. But he, he said, look, you know, she's done more media uh, than anyone ever in the history of the promotion. She wanted this, and, and this one time uh, we granted it to her. Now, we're going to listen to a little bit of audio of, of my couple of questions with Dana because what I was trying to get out of him was whether or not it was Amanda Nunez's call to not do any media either or was that the UFC telling her, as you and I speculated, hey, Ronda's not doing any media, so you're not needed to do any media either. And uh, you're going to hear me attempt it twice because the first time he kind of answers a different question than the one I was asking. And the second time when I try to follow up on it, he's not any more willing to commit to an answer. So let's listen to that. Yeah. Is what? As far as Amanda Nunez not participating, is that something she elected to do, or did you guys decide to find a way to do it and keep her out? Yeah, you know, there was a lot of talk about, you know, uh, Amanda wasn't represented in the in the in the videos and the commercials and all the things that we did. You know, it, there's only so many dollars you can spend to promote a fight. So obviously, you know, if you have to go with is it Ronda heavy? Absolutely, it's Ronda heavy. It, it absolutely makes sense. If if Amanda Nunez wins on Friday night, everybody will know who Amanda Nunez is. But as far as her not doing the media day and that sort of thing, did she elect to do that, or do you guys make that? No, this is this is just like a uh, you know, it's it's different. It's 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 like something we've never done before. It's it is what it is. So there uh, is Dana Frank basically being non-committal. Uh, saying, you know, owning up to the fact that he uh, had uh, they, they went heavy on Ronda Rousey in the promotion of the fight and that that was by design and, and kind of explaining why they that made dollars and cents to him, but not willing to really comment one way or another on uh, what role Amanda Nunez was allowed to play versus what role she wanted to play. All right, hold on, Frank. Before you uh, answer, I'm uh, picking up my passenger here. Come on, yeah, just throw those bags in the back. We're taping the podcast if you're wondering what's going on. So uh, this is live on the air here, Frank. If you ever wondered how we retrieve the independent contractors from McCarran Airport, uh, this is it right here. I'm in the uh, passenger loading area taping a podcast as we speak. First time it's ever happened. I'm, I'm also looking like an idiot for not helping her with her extremely heavy luggage. People are probably staring at me like, uh, wow, some gentleman. Okay, hold on. She's getting in the car. All right. Hi there. It's Brooklyn. Say hi, Brooklyn. Hi. All right, there she is. All right, Frank, your thoughts on uh, Dana White's kind of answer, non-answer there to my question. Well, I think that basically that this is all her design. I think it was all on her. It wasn't the UFC's idea to have her not uh, do uh, any of the promotion leading up to the fight, the week of the fight. And I don't think they're happy with it, but, I mean, they're stuck in a situation where if she doesn't accept. I mean, she makes enough money for them that she can't uh, – uh, they, they can't say no to her, basically. 
Yeah. And I think that, uh, you know, that I think that they forced Amanda Nunez to also at that point not do any media. But I think because they felt that, well, if you're not going to try to save any of your public image, I guess we're stuck in a situation where we're going to have to try to save some of your public image. Yeah, the, the the part about Dana doing the media in place of, of Rousey makes sense. Now, not giving me the answer on whether or not uh, Amanda Nunez made the call to be involved or not be involved. And I, I hate to just be left to speculation, but if we're not getting you know clear answers, then that's kind of all we can do. Well, um, I, I 100% know now that they made her, I mean, without a doubt, I bet the house that they told her not to uh, do media also. Yeah. Because had she also selected to, well, if Rana's not going to do it, I'm not going to do it because, you know, I, I need to be just mentally prepared. I don't want to give away any advantages tactically leading up to the fight. You know, now, you know, she's not going to be saying anything and she can read what I'm saying. Plus, just the time constraints behind trying to always, you know, to be there for your obligations media wise. Um, so I think that if they had said, well, we're also not going to have, it was our call, then. Uh, Ronda looked that much worse, and they're trying to—they're—they're they're already trying to mitigate the situation as much as possible. They're not going to sit there and go, "Well, we also took away the champ's opportunity to talk because we didn't want Ronda to look worse than she already looks." So this is just speculation, Frank. Again, but do you think it's too far-fetched that if the Ronda Rousey camp negotiated that she didn't have to do any media? that they could have been the ones to put in the stipulation as well that Amanda Nunez would not be allowed to do any either so as to not create a, a you know, a, a one-sided perspective with, with Rhonda not being able to to uh, give her side of it. Well, they could have asked her to do, you know, that could have been something that got brought up. Them trying to also mitigate, you know, or to, to just try to, you know, slow down the tension that's going to be leading up to it. But I don't know if the UFC would have obligated to that because that's kind of hard to tell another camp not to do social media. That would have given one hell of a weapon lead not that they could have employed to really get into the head of, you know, Ronda by sitting there going, and by the way, they want us to stay silent, don't want to talk. You know, Ronda's scared. You know, she doesn't even want me to talk. Oh, I think. Well, no, no, I'm not saying they, they would tell Amanda that. The version they would tell Amanda would be, hey, we're going to just not have you do anything. I'm wondering if that and again i just oh just, you know what yeah you know that's actually a strong possibility uh, yeah. i don't maybe, know maybe that's just a private conversation that's had between Rhonda and dana or something I mean, i've got nothing to base that on and it is all speculation i'm just simply saying that you know where it's it's i don't think it's completely without merit to even theorize on it just because we're already in this very unusual situation so it's really just kind of a question of how deep did it actually go right nonetheless yeah, definitely the I agree with you, though, that I think that obviously, I mean, the UFC did not want this. I think that, that we can see yes, that plain and simple sure. with your conversation with Dana. Yeah. And I think that all the details of what led up to it, you know, I'd be interested if, if we could ever get a backstory after the fact. Yep. Uh, and you know what? Maybe we will uh, down, down the road, months or years or something. Maybe, maybe we will hear about that. Now, if you want to see the video of Ronda Rousey, hitting the scales this morning uh that's on the phone booth fighting instagram i had a was basically right next to the stage so i shot that it's quick don't blink you'll miss it because she was out there for five seconds and then uh uh bolted off now uh that's the audio with uh dana white his uh reaction to that and the ronda rousey situation uh the co-main event frank 
is uh, featuring Dominic Cruz and Cody Garbrandt. Oh, we got some noise there in the background. Are you? Yeah. I've, you want me to hold on a second? Let me try to relocate again and hide from the kids. I yeah, got a house yeah, full let's... of my kids, and I'll go outside. Okay. You know, where are you guys going to go? I have to escape the noise. So are we going outside or inside? And inside. Okay, I'm screwed. I got kids inside and outside. I'll go upstairs. The UFC 207 co-main event, which for a lot of media members has kind of become the de facto main event because of uh, Ronda's media blackout, is the men's bantamweight champion Dominic Cruz taking on challenger Cody Garbrandt. Now, I did a uh, uh, nice one-on-one phone conversation with Dominic Cruz yesterday, so let's play that for you guys and uh, we'll comment. UFC 207 goes down in Las Vegas live on pay-per-view this Friday night. I'll be here in Vegas octagon side covering the fights. It is headlined by the return of Ronda Rousey challenging to get back her bantamweight title. And on the co-main event, it will be Cody Garbrandt, alpha male product, uh, challenging the bantamweight champion who joins me on the line right now. It's the dominator, Dominic Cruz. How you doing, Dominic? Good. How are you, man? Good, man. Real good. Uh, interesting fight uh, on paper. You know, the first thing that jumps out to me is uh, your, your advantage and experience. Cody's bringing an undefeated record, 9 of 10 wins by KO and, and 4 or 5 uh, of the same in the UFC. You know, you've gone to more decisions over your career, but that's over a 24-fight career with more than half of those at the UFC or WEC level. So my, my first question is, do you attribute that difference in style in terms of uh, knockout ratio to decision ratio to your experience with with higher levels of competition overall you pretty much nailed it i mean the guys that i fought you can look at at the list of the guys that i fought and they're the who's who of the 135 pound 145 pound division so when you look at the guys cody's fought you can't look up any of their records and see what they've done in the sport prior to what they've done against Cody. Um, I have more wins on my record than he has fights. So it, that alone is an experience factor. Now that does not play the fact that does not mean that he's not dangerous. That does not mean that he can't fight. Of course he can fight when you're fighting the guys at the highest level for a world title. These guys are the best of the best and he's one of them. Uh, but he's not as good as me, and that's that's all that it really comes down to is me using uh, my technique, outslicking him, and being smarter than him and fighting better than him. And really, when it comes down to this, it's just another fight. I've, I've had, you know, 23 of these. It's no different, and uh, I've come victorious every every time pretty much. And I look, I, I'm looking to do the exact same thing again. Cody's only been to the third round twice and, and, and once to a decision. Do you think a longer fight would mean an advantage for you, Dominic? Um, I think that this whole fight is just going to be about inches, you know? Mm. Just like every fight. When you're wearing those four-ounce gloves and you've got all these different strikes coming at you, the whole fight is about inches. And every single little margin that you can gain you need to make sure that you gain. My whole uh, prowess in going to all these fights is to make every single margin that there that you can take a stat and put it in my favor. And as long as I do that, I'll come out on top. And that's what I, I mean. That's that's what I've been able to do for all my fights. 
I don't see any difference with Cody. He brings nothing to the table that I have not faced before. Uh, he's got power. He's young. He's hungry. Uh, his ignorance is his bliss, and those are his gifts. And I understand his gifts, and I plan on taking them away. You you've had success against. <coughs> pardon me. You've had success against other uh, team alpha male fighters. Do you think that's coincidental to the fact that they have a lot of lighter weight class fighters and, and you're one of the all-time greats at 135 pounds? Or do you think there's something about their collective approach as a team that, that has played in your favor? I think it's both. Exactly what you said. I'm, I'm the best ever at 135 pounds. And they've been having to face me over and over because they're, they're, they're up there. They're, they're right there, but they're just their mentality breaks them every time they have a certain mentality. I mean, when you listen to any of these guys talk to me, they say the same stuff over and over and over. And they've had every opportunity in the world to change their mindset, to give respect where respect is due. And they refuse to ever do it. And that's because uh, they choose to lie to themselves instead of tell the truth. And until they decide to make that, those changes, they're going to keep losing to me. You defend seventy-two percent of significant strike attempts uh, that are that are attempted on you, which is the highest rate among active fighters. Do you give Cody any more of a chance to to land at a better rate than that? Uh, I don't give him more of a chance to land at a better rate than that. No, uh, I just think that when he does land, he's sure of it. That that's the difference with a guy like Cody. He he counts on that punch landing. He counts on being able to hit you. And that's like so many other fighters, and that's exactly why this style was built. So many fighters count on that one punch. And when you count on that one punch, I'm going to make it the weapon that I use against you. He doesn't understand that. He, that that's what I mean by the ignorance is bliss thing. Is he, He's never fought somebody who, who makes you miss as much as I'm going to make him miss. And that's not to say I don't get hit. Of course I get hit, but we all get hit in fights. Every single one of us, you walk into a fight knowing you're going to get hit. That's okay. But when you're missing 72% of, of the things that you throw at somebody, it feels different, especially when you never felt that before. And that's the key to this whole thing is making it feel different, making him uncomfortable, making him understand that, uh, you know, this isn't going to be as easy as he thinks it is. You've also landed uh, the most takedowns in uh, Bantamweight his. <coughs> Pardon me, the most uh, takedowns in Bantamweight history with 48. Uh, you know, Cody's known to be more of, of a striker. Uh, how, how would you see the fight playing out if, if you do end up taking him down and he's, he's working off his back? Well, that's what makes me good at, at this level is I can mix it up better than anybody else. I, I know when I need to take it down. I know when I need to, to out-grapple him. I make the adjustments according to the style that the guy is fighting with me. If uh, he's doing certain things, then I know the takedown will be there. If he decides that he wants to, to wrestle and, and grapple with me, then I know the striking will be there. I just have to make the adjustments off of my uh, instincts when I'm in there. Be in the zone, be focused, believe in myself, and like all the, all the reads will be there for me. 
And lastly, Dominic, by by virtue of Ronda Rousey's self-imposed media blackout uh, this week, you and Cody have really kind of, at least in the media's eyes, I think, become the de facto uh, main event in terms of uh, participants to interview and and, uh, that sort of thing. What are your thoughts on, I mean, it's kind of unprecedented what what she's done and uh, and required here with the media blackout. What are your thoughts on, on one you know, her decision to do it, and then two, also how you think that might have affected the buildup for your own fight, good or bad? Well, I mean, I think that the way that it's viewed by Ronda is everybody's here to watch me anyway, so I don't need to do any media, and I don't really care about the money. Um, I've heard her say some interviews like, I don't care about the money. Uh, The money's not it. I just want that win. So she's doing what she thinks she needs to do for herself, and that's cool. I mean, okay. Um, That does, however, put more stress on myself and you know i say cody but cody really doesn't say anything worth listening to other than a bunch of opinions which opinions have no validity behind them so really i'm pretty much the one that you're going to get anything that makes any sense out of any of these interviews so that puts a lot of stress on me but i've been the main event for a lot of fights i'm also in the media limelight all the time i work on fox as an analyst i'm a color commentator the thing is this is this is a big boy sport that's what it is. It's not easy to do all this stuff. And I think Rhonda is a example to show not just media, but the entire world of how difficult it is to juggle media and fighting. And maybe it'll help people understand how good I really am because I'm about to murder both of those things. The champ, Dominic Cruz, defends his title Friday night live on pay-per-view right here in Las Vegas at the T-Mobile Arena, co-headlining UFC 207. Dominic, always a pleasure talking to you, man. I look forward to the next time, and, uh, and, and we'll see you this week here in Vegas. Thanks so much. Frank, Dominic Cruz is, uh, oh, I mean, in addition to being the, the greatest bantamweight that the UFC has ever had, He's also, I think, one of the best analysis, uh, uh, analysts. You know, I think that's why he's got that job at the Fox desk. And uh, he, he's always really good at uh, articulating and, and breaking down his, his opponent's strengths and weaknesses, you know? He absolutely is. I mean, I've, I've hung out with him a couple times and sat there to pick his brain in general about just, you know, martial arts. And, you know, he's a champion and a very uh, dominant one. Um, a lot of times for his mental attributes, you know, what he brings to the game mentally. And, and that's the thing that I think that's the hardest thing for people to train for because he's mentally leaps and bounds ahead of a lot of other guys in the, in, in the fight game. Now, the part I was keying in on there with Dominic Frank, as you heard, was uh, that, you know, you, you look at the difference in experience between himself and, and Garbrandt. Now, Garbrandt's an undefeated fighter. Uh, who's won, uh, has only been the distance once and has only been to the third round twice and has won the overwhelming majority of his fights by knockout. Cruz has been to a lot more decisions, but when you're talking about his tenure in the, the WEC and UFC combined, you got to think that, uh, I mean, perhaps in your thoughts here, Frank, how much of that is attributable to Cruz's fight style, that he's not so much of a knockout puncher, but he's got the, you know, the footwork finesse, but also how much of that is the fact that he's faced the the tougher competition. And as you climb that ladder, it's probably going to be harder and harder to uh, knock out just anybody you come across. 
I think all of the above. And also, his style primarily is that I want to stay safe and not get caught by anything and get knocked out and pick you apart and frustrate you. And, and if you don't, you know, if you make a mistake, I'll knock you out. But if you don't, then he's not going to really open up the uh, doors and take a chance to, uh, you know, uh, you know, to take an analogy from football. He's not going to throw it up in the air and hope that the other guy comes down with it. Uh, he's not going to take any type of uh, lucky shots. And so, uh, you know, I, I really think that uh, this is a case where Garbrandt will probably be a champion in the future. I just don't think that uh, Friday night's his night to turn over and beat uh, Cruz. I think Cruz is too long of a fighter. He uses too much footwork and distance. And, uh, you know, we're also going to see the first time if he can even go past the third round. Uh, you know, and I could really see him being frustrated. You know, I think Garbrandt has great hands. Uh, you know, has a great camp, but he tends to throw his punches. His shoulders are more square, and he throws great combinations, but they're short-distance punches relative to what Dominic throws. Now, I also got in a couple of questions with Cody Garbrandt. Let's uh, give that a quick listen. Cody, you were a fan of Team Alpha Male before you were a member of it when you first started watching UFC, and this Dominic Cruz rivalry with the team has been going on for years and years now. Going back to being a fan before you even started fighting, is the Cruz rivalry with Alpha Male something you you always associated uh, the two together? Um, you know, I, I really probably didn't look into it that way um, with Cruz and, and the Team Alpha Male rivalry. Uh, but yeah, it's always been there, you know. Obviously, looking in the media and interviews, yeah, he's he just he's insecure. He wish he was the alpha male guy. I think that's why he has such hatred for our team, and he says all those things. Do you think you're going to be the best pure boxer he's ever faced? He gets a lot of credit for his footwork. Do you think, from your amateur boxing background, you've got the recipe to neutralize that? Yeah, I'm the best boxer he's ever faced. You know, speed, power, accuracy, and uh, timing. You know, that's that's for sure. He's never faced a striker like myself. You hear it, Frank, I'm asking Cody Garbrandt there if he believes he's going to be the best boxer that Dominic Cruz has ever faced. One of, one of Cruz's real assets has been his footwork. And uh, with Cruz, or with uh, Garbrandt, you know, Garbrandt was a very accomplished amateur boxer. He had record was like 37-1, and one, something like that. Garbrandt claims that he believes he'll be the best boxer that, that Cruz has ever faced. You think that's a, that's a fair claim? Oh, I think so. I just I think that right now, though, we have more of less that the style of striking that Dominic Cruz uses is just not going to be is going to be too much for the style of boxing that uh, uh, Cody Garbrandt uses. I think that because of the distances and how close uh, uh, Garbrandt, you know, not relatively close, but just speaking that he likes to fight in range more, to throw the combinations, to throw shorter punches. I just, I, I feel he's going to have a harder time being effective with him against uh, 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 Dominic because of the ability of Dominic to, uh, to, to use footwork and punch from far away. Now, we did have some excitement between Cruz and Garbrandt at the official weigh-ins this morning. Uh, if you want to see video, if you're a fan of naked Cody Garbrandt, check the phone booth fighting Instagram page because uh, he had to lose the shorts and, and work the towel to, uh, to, to hit 135, but he did it. Uh, he got on the scale first, video of that up at the phone booth fighting Instagram, and then uh, Cruz followed shortly thereafter. Now, right before Cruz got on the scale, the two camps inadvertently crossed paths and there was a there was a fracas there was a scuffle uh there were there were people 
uh, pushed into the wall that I was leaning against. And uh, you know who had to come to the rescue was Reed Harris. That guy, it, it seems like he's the, uh, he's the secret weapon there with that stuff. You know, he, he broke up the Matt Brown fight in, uh, down in Brazil, and he was right there at the ready again today. So uh, and I don't think any actual punches were thrown or anything like that. But hostilities uh, b between the two camps were boiling over this morning. This has become a bit of a, a personal thing between these two. And I guess some of it is attributed to the fact, Frank, that Dominic Cruz has, you know, he's the arch enemy of, of all of Team Alpha Male, it would seem. But also the fact that uh, he, I, I think he's had a little more media experience and maybe he's a little, uh, he, he's maybe got a, got a few more words at the ready than Cody Car Garbrandt typically has. And that seems to have irritated Garbrandt a bit. Yeah, Dominic is phenomenal at the facing off verbal exchange with his opponents. Uh, I've always thought he was good at it, but I don't think it was ever highlighted more than he sat there with TJ Dillashaw. And TJ is a pretty sharp guy. Yeah. And he completely destroyed him. Like, I'm sitting there going, wow, here's a strange situation where it looks like the captain of the debate team not only whooped your ass verbally, but he can kick your ass in <laughs> fight afterwards. I like, can, I how can, shitty I, of a situation I, is that? I can do half of that. <laughs> yeah, if you ever if you ever if you ever need that kind of skill set, I'm 50% there for you. Well, you know, and typically I think you know, we just come to a custom that a guy who's very good with his words, typically it's like, well, fuck it, I'm just going to kick your ass. Right. You know, and here's one of those situations where it's like well, you're going to go back to your girl and be like, "Wow, he schooled you verbally and then he choked you unconscious." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's he's sharp. Uh, well, speaking of, uh, of T.J. Dillashaw, he's on this uh, UFC 207 card as well. He's going to be taking on John Lineker, former flyweight powerhouse that has uh, moved up recently to, to Bantamweight. T.J. Dillashaw, the former Bantamweight champion. Here's my conversation with T.J. Hey, T.J. How's it going? You too. T.J. Dillashaw. T.J., uh, you know, you look spectacular uh, back uh, earlier this summer against uh, Sunsau. I know you were hoping for a, a title shot rematch coming out of that, but uh, given the fact that title's on the line Friday night, uh, Cruz and, and Garbrandt, do you feel like with a win over Lineker that's actually going to build more drama if you can get uh, the winner? Not, yeah, I mean, it, de it definitely will build more drama. It's, it's a good spot to be, I mean, it's a great consolation prize, I guess you would say. I'm fighting again the number two ranked fighter, um, taking the tougher fights, and I'm doing it right before uh, Cruz's fight number eight. Yep. So I'm really the one. I mean, the way I look at it, though, I'm the one fighting the title fight, you know, and I just got to voice it after I win. Yeah. Uh, your thoughts on Lineker, a guy who uh, brought a lot of knockout power uh, coming up from, from flyweight. Uh, do you feel like he's retained all of that power moving up to maybe a more natural uh, weight class of Bantamweight? you think there's much difference in him as a flyweight fighter or as opposed to a Bantamweight? Not really. You know, maybe just his stature. You know, he's not the tallest guy. Um, but, I mean, yeah, he still, he still packs a punch. You know, I wouldn't say he's got devastating power where he's going to finish you with one punch, you know, but... That's his game plan is to uh, hit you with a big punch and hopefully finish you. Um, his feet are set in the ground, and, uh, he, you know, his hands and his feet are both made of stone. <laughs> yeah. 
I know uh, I, I know you tried to sort of take the high road a lot when you split from Team Alpha Male, but just watching the buildup between Dominic and, and Cody, you know, Dominic has gotten this reputation as the, the Alpha Male killer, and he plays on that a lot, and he markets off of that. If you could be handed that mantle as well and kind of create a rivalry with the team uh, moving forward, is that is that a role you, you could embrace if it, if it meant more eyeballs on the fight? I don't want to, man. I have a lot of friends at Alpha yep. Male still, you know. I mean, I still have a lot of guys I stay in touch with, you know, Chad Mendez I'm hunting with all the time. Um, Lance Palmer I'm always talking with. Uh, Danny Castillo. I mean, Justin Buckles was one of my best friends. And so it's and, and every one of my corner, you know, one of my fights except for my last my last one. So that's something I wouldn't really want to have to have to be a rival with those guys because I love all those guys, you know. So it's a, it's a tough one, you know. And lastly, uh, I know you were one of the faces of the, the fighters organization when it was announced a few weeks ago. Do you know what the next step with that will be? Like, do, do you have another planned appearance with them? Do you know when the next time is they'll call you? Or you in contact? Do you know what the plan is moving forward? Uh, they were going to let me get through this fight first. Okay. You know, they were going to kind of let me worry about my fight and just worry about winning because ultimately that's the most important, you know. But uh, not worried as it comes. I just kind of was asked to join it, and I felt like I stood up for what was right. You know, and so that's all I really can do is, I've, I mean, I've been an open book with the, with everything, with interviews, with the way I feel, um, for standing up for myself. I mean, even with my conversations with Dana and how I've gone down, I've always been an open book. I'm never going to sit here and lie to anybody. So I'm just standing up for what's right. Good luck in there Friday. Uh, Thanks, appreciate man. it, man. Thank you. So, Frank, there, you know, TJ Dillashaw, two things really coming out of my conversation with, with him. Number one, he's made clear that he believes this should be his title shot not uh, Cody Garbrandt, that he's uh, undefeated since losing to Cruz and that that was a closely contested uh, title fight between him and Cruz, that he deserves this rematch. Also commenting on his role with the uh, the MMAAA, the uh, Fighters Association, saying that um, you know he doesn't really have anything planned on the books right now as far as his next appearance for them or, or direct involvement or whatever that they told him they're going to kind of give him until uh, this fight is over with before they take the next step of involvement with him but it does sound like Frank he's maybe a little concerned in the back of his mind that aligning with the fighters association may not be winning him any friends in the Zufa office your thoughts first on whether or not you think he deserved this title shot over Garbrandt and then secondly what uh what negative effect any possible politics might have on him well, I mean, I can understand his, his reasoning behind the fact that he should have had the title shot. The difference is that Garbrandt is an up-and-coming and hot commodity. So as far as selling tickets, uh, you know, more people are probably interested in watching the cruise fight than watching the, uh, uh, you know, with Cody Garbrandt than watching with TJ Dillashaw. And then, uh, you know, I'm actually thinking that he's going to be able to pull this fight off uh, as far as technically. I think that, uh, you know, John Lineker is a very powerful puncher and, he, you know, he runs you down. But uh, I think that, you know, in the past, I've seen him have a hard time with guys that are able to capitalize on his over-aggressiveness. And uh, T.J. Dillashaw really showed that against Hennem Barral, you know, how he was able to, you know, really just use his footwork and ability to switch stances mid-combination and just, you know, great finesse on his feet to uh, really throw off a very aggressive power-punching guys. And, uh, and you know what, as far as his fear and apprehension that, you know, that joining a union or, you know, voicing for one was going to hurt any kind of uh, relationships he had with Zufa, well, no shit. <laughs> I, mean, like, <laughs> I mean, come on, man. I mean, that had to have been a thought, like, that crossed your mind. I mean, I think that's why you saw that, you know, even uh, I remember when it first came out, you know, a couple of weeks ago, you know, this newest one with Cowboy and, you know, uh, uh, 
the different guys, you had interviewed a few fighters and, you know, you popped that question in there. And I think across the board, all of them were like, well, I really don't know much about it. You know, I don't want to comment on it. Yeah. Very politically intelligent answer to go, hey, before I step into a shitstorm, let me fucking find out, you know, is this going to be a step forward or am I going to basically, you know, take a step backward? And, uh, you know, I think that's how most people look at that. So the fact that TJ already made this step forward to announce his name along with it, um, I'm hoping he thought about it already, about the consequences of his actions. And, and I'm not saying either way what's going on, but it's kind of one of those things where it's like, really, you're just thinking about that now? I mean, that wasn't part of the equation that you took into consideration <laughs> when you put through your name on this? Yeah, well, the first uh, thing that's got to be at the top of his mind, at least until uh, Friday night comes and goes, is John Lineker. And I got a couple of questions in with him as well yesterday at Media Day. Uh, John, you get to TJ Dillashaw Friday night. Uh, do you feel like since moving up from fly, uh, flyweight to bantamweight that getting an opponent like Dillashaw is really the, the indicator that you were seen as a top contender for the title? Bom, você vai lutar com TJ Dillashaw. É, você acha que essa luta realmente é o sinal que você vai ser o próprio próximo é, em contenção ao título? É o que eu acredito, vencendo o TJ Dillashaw é bem convincente eu possa ter a minha oportunidade de lutar pelo título é o que eu acredito e é o que eu quero que aconteça yes I believe that I think that that means that I'm going to be the next contender and I want that do you feel like your power has translated uh, seamlessly from uh, flyweight to bantamweight do you feel any difference fighting the slightly bigger guys você sente que o poder transferiu do, do peso mosca para o peso de cima você acha que você continua sendo forte nesse peso ah, com certeza, me sinto muito bem nessa categoria, me sinto mais forte, com certeza, do que na, na, na do Mosca. Então, eu tô, tô na minha categoria agora e não, e não saio mais. I certainly do, I think I'm, I'm in my weight division and I don't, I'm not leaving it anymore. And lastly, for you, do you feel like a win over a former champion like Dillashaw is going to put you in that conversation for uh, a Bantamweight title shot after Friday? E por fim, eh, você acha que uma vitória nessa luta vai te botar em contenção de título? Acredito que sim, acredito que vencendo ele bem convincente, é bem convincente, não deixando na mão dos juízes aí, trazendo um nocaute, com certeza eu terei minha oportunidade. Yes, I think so. If I can get both a convincing win, I'll get my opportunity. Thanks, guys. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. So the pretty standard fare there from uh, John Lineker, uh, Frank, uh, confirming through his interpreter that he's he's pretty happy and settled at 135 pounds after he was known to have trouble making weight at 125 pounds. No trouble making weight this morning, although that was not the case for another serial offender, and we'll get to that in a second. But uh, Lineker hits the 135-pound mark. Uh, boy, you know, talking to him, and I don't know if, if it really picked up on the audio, but, you know, he was at that point in his weight cut where just even as he was talking to me and watching his mouth move, you could sort of hear, see, and kind of feel the cotton mouth of dehydration. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, a lot of these guys, I mean, just, just, you wonder how much that affects them on performance nights, you know? And, you know, you're going to cut down this much and how good you're going to feel. And, you know, it just it, it's constantly that game back and forth that I don't really think anybody really fully has a great answer for. Well, let's talk about... Johnny Hendricks, the uh, fellow that I just alluded to a second ago, because things this morning at the official weigh-ins at the MGM Grand did not go his way. 
I I was uh, I got there straight up at nine, and that's as I said when Rhonda hit the scale. Now they have two hours. It's a two-hour window with these new official weigh-in rules. They can hit the scale anytime between nine and eleven, and then if they hit it once, I I believe they have an opportunity to weigh in again uh, within that same time span. Uh, you know, if maybe you're a half pound over or something like that. Uh, Hendrix, though, way more than a half pound over, Frank. A guy who has missed the 170-pound limit on more than one occasion, did it again, checking in at 173 and a half, two and a half pounds over the allowable weight limit. And we're going to play some audio of me talking to him here in a second. When I talked to him yesterday, Frank, and I love Johnny, he's – I mean, he's always a, a friendly, engaging guy, you know, and I, I know for that fact that it's not that he was just put off having to talk to people or anything like that. And he was still very pleasant in our conversation, but just physically, you could just see how depleted and uncomfortable and, and you know, shifting around and standing up and sitting down and irritated he felt physically uh, what do you make of that, Frank? I mean, Johnny Hendricks is just in a in a, a, a continuously bad place trying to hit 170 pounds. Well, I mean, his height doesn't really warrant him going up to middle weight. I think it's one of those things where, I mean, he admittedly in the past, you know, and has said that he has, you know, he, he likes to eat, you know, barbecue and, you know, he eats good. And, uh, he likes food and doesn't avoid it. So I think it's, uh, I think maybe one solution to help him out is, he has to just be more active. I think long layoffs in between fights allows him to, well, I don't have a fight, you know, uh, he, you know, he can sit there in his mind and go, well, I don't have nothing for seven months or eight months. And I, you know, well, I can just stop eating, you know, or, you know, I can start getting my eating under control so many months out from the fight, which will allow me to get that much heavier now. And I think that hurts him. I think that if he were to be uh, a guy that fights every three or four months, I think that he would probably be more conscious of his weight in the off season, you know, kind of like how he was when he wrestled. I mean, uh, you know, he understood that he had a season. He had to watch what he ate in between cutting. You know, he couldn't just balloon up, and uh, you know, and then he had his off season. So I think, it, I think it'd be better for him to have a, you know, two or three fights in a row, and then he could take a break, and then you know, uh, you know, he'll balloon up and then come back, and then have to suffer the first one back, but then gain that momentum of fighting two or three more in a row, where you know he. Uh, is going to be able to be more consistent in the offseason with his eating habits. Yeah, but I'll, you know, I'll just say, too, at this point, that I don't know how much time there is at this point in his career to get into that kind of long-range habit-slash-plan, you know? Um, it, it, he, you know, he talked, and uh, we'll just get to the audio here. You know, he talked in my conversation with him yesterday about a feeling of a renaissance and, you know, really, really being uh, confident at this point in his career and the role that his wife had played in motivating him and telling him that, you know, he just looked awful in his last outing and he can't fight like that anymore and that, you know, this is going to be uh, a, a rebirth and maybe it will be if, uh, you know, the fight goes ahead and, and he 
he's able to pull out a win. But certainly uh, this morning was not a good indication of that. But let's listen to my conversation uh, prior to the official weigh-in that I had with Johnny Hendricks. Johnny, good to talk to you, man. It's, uh, you know, it, it seems like you've got a real air of renaissance uh, about you coming into this fight. And I've, I've read a couple of quotes. You talked about how important your family was, particularly your wife, and kind of getting together, motivating you for that rebirth. Uh, what? Take us inside that for a second. What, what, what's that journey been like since July? It's been good. It's been a good one. And I, I'm excited that my wife has been behind me on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I needed that. Is it, does it help to have, an, you know, she's not a, a fighter, but obviously she's been married to a fighter for quite a long time. So you got all the pro coaches around you, yet it's the perspective of somebody who's kind of the, the outsider on the inside, if you will, that uh, is able to, to get to you. Was that just her unique perspective that resonated with you? No, it's why God put me with her. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, <clears throat> I really do believe that. The good Lord wants me to listen to my wife. You know, uh, just because you know I'm the male in the relationship doesn't mean I'm not going to listen to my wife, and uh, that's why I think he put me there is because she can't she knows how to talk to me, and uh, that's why I'm very grateful for what I have. You get a very compelling component in uh, Neil Magny. He's a he's a long rangey fighter. He's going to have about 11 inch reach on you off the top yeah. of your head. Is that the longest uh, fighter oh, you've yeah. ever fought? Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, but it doesn't bother me none. You know what I mean? Because I, he, the way that he's going to try to move and stuff, yeah, I think it can work in my favor. He's also a very uh, traditionally a very busy fighter. Does it actually help when you're preparing for a fight that your opponent is that busy and you get so many looks at them in the recent past as opposed to maybe somebody only fights once or twice a year? Yes and no. Uh, <laughs> because, you know, he might, he might be able to learn something new. Then again, he might... Uh, then it might be easier to find stuff, like you said. You know what I mean? It's like a catch-22. He might add something new in there because he does fight so much. He's, he sees where he's he can make the changes quicker, right, adapt quicker, or he's just going to continue to do the same thing. You don't know until the fight shows up. Uh, lastly, one other thing, uh, you know, occurred in preparing to talk to you. You know, your path up to those uh, wars that you had with, with Robbie Lawler or GSP, for that matter, you're knocking out a lot of guys. Uh, those those fights, though, that uh, those wars were not, nobody got knocked out. It was, uh, you know, uh, uh, five-round sagas. Is that something that, with your knockout power, you know, once you got up to that level, is that uh, something you got more patient about, the fact that we haven't seen as many KOs from you, or do you think that was just rising to that level of competition that that's going to level out once well, you start fighting those teams. Well, people started fearing it. Yeah, right. <clears throat> people feared my wrestling, not my hands. Mm-hmm. You knock a couple people out, what do they start fearing? They start fearing your hands. So that's sort of where, it, you know what I mean, it hurts me. Because now everybody knows now that I can knock them out. They're just going to try to do everything they can not to get knocked out. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's why. That's why. Johnny Hendricks, uh, best of luck in there Friday night against Neil Magnum. Good hey, to talk to you. Thank you so much. Thank you. So there, Frank, you know, the audio doesn't necessarily do it justice, but I could tell in talking to him that he was just physically uncomfortable and, you know, as as somebody who's uh, uh, cut, you know, not, not had those kind of weight-cutting problems but experienced the, the 24 hours of the hard weight cut before, 
uh, I know, you know, how miserable you can be when you hadn't had any water and you hadn't had any food and all that kind of stuff. But just watching him sort of shift around and be so uncomfortable like that. You know what, Frank? I, obviously, you can tell from the audio, I felt so uncomfortable, so bad for him that when he started talking about how the good Lord had put him with his wife, I didn't even try to object and talk him into being an atheist. That's how sympathetic <laughs> I was being to that line of logic. You let it slide. You're like, ah, this guy at this point, if he needs to believe in the, uh, the tooth fairy, let him believe. <laughs> That's right. I was uh, I was just trying to trying to help him out. But I mean, does he? Does it seem like maybe he's just kind of a bit lost? I mean, after having this happen over and over again, and then the like you said, the 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 genetics of maybe being that tweener, where you're 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 too short to be a middleweight, but uh, you know obviously this 170 pound in working and short of them instituting a, a 180 weight class uh, or you know 176 or something like that I, I don't really know what he's supposed to do yeah you know uh, you know he's already won a welterweight championship and i think maybe at this point he has to uh you know if he felt like he was motivated he has to make a decision if he really wants to go back and make a run for the title he has to make it to where these snafus of missing weight are not an issue which i think is going to be more uh, about how he handles it in the off season, not blowing up as big as he would like to. He can't just have a, you know two months of just eating whatever he wants to eat. It's gonna have to be a year-round approach, and that's very hard. And uh, you know the guy's been competing a long time. Uh, you know he had a long college wrestling career, you know at a national champion level, and now he's had an MMA career with great success. Um, he has to make that decision if he's going to continue that route of wanting to be a champion. Then that's the price he's gonna have to pay. Or he can go ahead and start doing catchweight fights. He has a, a good enough name still, you know, as far as a former champion and Johnny Hendricks. He could just maybe not move up completely to 185, but just, you know, be just on the card as a, as, as a fight and just kind of uh, go into the twilight years of his career and still he'll still be making an income and providing for his family and, and able to go out there and compete, but uh, not in contention for a title fight. Do you think he'd have to do that outside of the UFC organization? I mean, they've made catchweights in the past, but they don't seem to just be in the habit of, of doing that as a plan A. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if uh, it, it kind of depends on what his draw is with uh, uh, the organization. If they feel it warrants to have him fighting there, I mean, I mean, right off the bat, I guess, you know, uh, they could, you know, throw around the idea of guys not wanting to fight within the weight class or just fighting guys that uh, are not, you know, maybe at the top five of the middleweight class. Um, it, I guess, it, like I said, it depends on a draw. I mean, you see how much over backwards for Ronda Rousey right. because she's a draw. And so I think that just, you know, your, your bargaining powers are going to become upon how much money you make. Well, he's got a tough task in front of him in Neil Magny. Uh, this is a guy who, uh, and I visited with, with him as well for a few minutes, a guy who likes to stay really busy, a guy who up until a few fights ago uh, when Damian Maya defeated him, I believe had been on a seven-fight win streak. So this is a guy that even though he hasn't uh, quite gotten up to the level of challenging for the welterweight title yet, is still on a pretty impressive trajectory at this point in his career now as i mentioned to johnny hendrix or hendrix confirmed to me this is going to be the longest rangiest fighter that hendrix has ever faced an 11 inch reach advantage and and uh, i believe four or five inches in 
in height as well. So he's going to have that to, to contend with. Let's listen to uh, Neil Magny's comments on what he thinks his biggest concerns are going to be in facing Johnny Hendricks. Neil Magny here, UFC 207 Media Day. Neil, this is going to be uh, Friday night. It's going to be the third time in uh, nine months we've seen you fight. So first of all, why the slow pace? You're, you're getting lazy here. What's going yeah, on? Yeah, it wasn't by choice at all. It's just kind of one of those things that happens when uh, you start climbing the ranks. I guess you have to be a little more selective. I mean, uh, I still have mentality of fighting anyone, anywhere, anytime, but uh, my coaches and my, my management kind of had a different approach. So uh, they kind of slowed things down a bit and started picking the right fights for me. Well, I think that's only slow for you. I'm, I'm being a little sarcastic there because uh, we've seen you fight so much. But th does it feel like you slowed down at all or just kind of, uh, you know, the business is yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, God willing, if I'm healthy enough to fight, I want to fight. I mean, uh, the, the fight is years limited. I mean, I never know when this all can be over. So I want to fight as much as possible, enjoy this as much as possible. Uh, when I want to walk away from fighting is when I don't enjoy it anymore. When I don't want to fight is when I don't enjoy it anymore. So uh, I want to fight as much as much as possible. If it means five, six times a year, put me in, coach. I'm ready to go. <laughs> You're going to have uh, an 11-inch reach advantage on your opponent, Johnny Hendricks. You're going to be the longest fighter that he's ever uh, been at the disadvantage of, of fighting lengthwise how much of a factor do you think that'll play um that'd be a huge factor i mean i get to dictate the range and dictate the pace of the fight i mean uh i can hit him where i can't get hit back and it's up to him to close that distance and uh make it a fight where he's able to be competitive so i used to go out there next to my game plan and stay long and stay active on him yeah, it's, uh, you know, where do you see uh, a win over Hendricks putting you in the in the grand scheme of things in the welterweight division? I mean, that would be a huge name to have a win over. For sure, it would be a huge name for me to have a win over, and it puts me right there to start fighting the top five guys in the division. So I'm focused on beating John Hendricks 100%, but then uh, jumping in 2017, ready to fight some top five competition. He's got eight knockouts on his record, but it's been quite a while since we've seen him knock anybody out. He also brings a, a pretty decorated collegiate uh, wrestling pedigree. Uh, what would you think? say would be uh, a, a bigger threat to you Friday night? If you were to anticipate his game plan, what do you think he'll try to employ more? Um, I think the biggest threat would probably be me getting taken down and dry home for 15 minutes. That would be the only threat that I'm worried about. Other than that, I'm 100% I'm confident I can go out there and fight my fight, uh, keep my range, and win this fight easily. Not easily, but <laughs> win this fight decisively. Neil Magny, good luck in there Friday. Thanks, for sure. Thank, Thank you. you. Now, you heard there, Frank, Neil Magny says that, you know, he's obviously confirming he's going to use his range advantage. He thinks the biggest threat to him would not be would be uh, not Johnny Hendricks's power, but the fact that Hendricks may try to wrestle him uh, for three rounds and just hold him down. Dry hump was the uh, actual term he used. But you know, after hearing that Hendricks has missed weight and and trying to make weight, it's not like Hendricks went in eight pounds over and you know was obviously not even attempting to cut those last couple of pounds. So as depleted and run down as he's gonna be or as he's feeling at this moment, Frank, I would think that of all the, the, the particular disciplines to try to employ, a 15-minute wrestling match on the part of Johnny Hendricks, that might be the toughest one to pull off given his current physical condition. I agree with you. I think that uh, he's gonna go for broke. I think he's gonna try to uh, knock Neil out. I think trying to take Neil Managna down over and over again, on a guy who's not cooperating with you, he's gonna be fighting to get back up to his feet. I think uh, is gonna be a huge test for his uh, endurance and stamina. And I think that we'll see is uh, that's not gonna be what uh, the Johnny's gonna be able to pull off. I think instead he's just gonna to look to go ahead and land a huge left hand and try to turn the fight around with one shot, and uh, you know conserve his energy. He doesn't have to worry about Neil taking him down. Just 
kind of move his head, let Neil's probably going to try to pick him apart and keep the distance and hopefully be able to slip in and land his, uh, his tailor-made or, you know, his uh, uh, trademark left hand. Also kicking off the main card is going to be a flyway attraction between Louis Smoka and Ray Borg. I talked to both these guys, Frank. Uh, we'll hear from Louis Smoka first, his thoughts on the fact that you know, uh, still being a, a, a hot young prospect in the division, he suffered a pretty big upset at the hands of a, at least up to that point, pretty unheralded uh, Brandon Moreno back in October. Let's hear from uh, Louis Smoka and then his opponent for UFC 207, Ray Borg. Louis Smoka here at uh, UFC 207 Media Day flyweight fight against uh, Ray Borg. First, uh, Louis, I want to ask you about your uh, opponent because uh, been out of action about a year or so, but made big waves uh, leading up to that. Uh, you know, your, your, your thoughts on the matchup and what you've seen out of Ray so far? Um, I see a lot of scrambles, um, wrestling, uh, likes to throw hard. Um, I'm not really sure what to expect from him because it's been a long layoff and he's a young guy, so he's he might come out with some tricks, you know. And I mean, he showed flashes of that in a few fights. I think against Ortiz, he threw he threw like a few flying knees and stuff like that. So I mean, he I'm expecting some tricks out of him and stuff. But I I, I feel good. I feel confident fighting him. Pretty quick turnaround fight for you uh, after uh, the the Brandon Moreno loss. How how important was it to you to to get back in there? Was this a matter of just this particular fight being offered to you, or did you have a feeling like as soon as possible you wanted to be back in there? Um, I did want to get back in there fairly quickly. Like I don't know, I went through like a bunch of ups and downs. I went through some roller coasters. Like I was depressed for a while, just drank for a bit. <laughs> then after a while, I was like, okay, I kind of need to you know get myself together and fight again. So. Um, they offered me the fight, and I just jumped on it. I was like, all right, let's go. Moreno is looking like the real deal, though. I mean, this is a pretty impressive fighter coming out of uh, the, the Ultimate Fighter. So I could easily see uh, your paths crossing again. Uh, I'm sure it'll be a while, but is that something in the back of your mind you're, you're probably going to have your eye on until it happens? Um, I don't really mind one way or the other. I'm just going to try to keep winning, do my job. You know, if he keeps winning and we end up fighting again one day, great. You know, I'll take that fight pretty quickly because I kind of want that redemption. But... I don't want to be like a poor sport. I don't want to be over here like raining on his parade like every time he wins or something to start calling him out. Like I feel like that's kind of like being a poor sport. You know, I don't want to do that. Ray Borg is uh, is a very well-respected fighter and you know the, the flyweight division it does not have a lot of names of people who have not fought and lost to Demetrius Johnson yet. So that being said, you feel like a win uh, Friday night maybe puts you right back in title contention. Probably not, honestly. I'd probably need like two or three wins, honestly. I mean, I'm on a one-fight win streak, give me the champ, you know, like that sounds a little, that sounds a little weak to me. A very honest perspective from uh, Lewis Smoka. Good luck in there Friday night, man. I appreciate it. Thank you, Rich. Ray Borg, 207 Media Day here at T-Mobile uh, Center. Ray, good to see you back in action. And it's been uh, been about 11 months, almost a year since uh, we've seen you in there, so, so uh, catch us up on the layoff. You know, I've just been taking time, focusing on myself, focusing on my family, getting better. You know, I've had a couple incidents, uh, in the last few months, that's kind of taken me out of some fights. But going into this fight, I've, I've really focused on making myself a better athlete and not only a better athlete, a better person. So, you know, it's, it's been good to me to be able to perfect my skills. 
<clears throat> You've got a little smoke up for this. Uh, it's a quick turnaround for him. A big upset loss when he lost to Brandon Moreno back in uh, October. Uh, first of all, what, what were maybe your thoughts on that fight and, uh, you know, your thoughts on, on Lewis as a, a fighter in general because he's he's been a hot prospect here for a while. You know, his loss to Brandon Moreno didn't actually surprise me as much as it surprised most people. I've always said it before, uh, Smoke is very good. He's a scrappy guy, but he leaves himself open and in a lot of bad positions, and Moreno was just the first one to truly capitalize on it, you know, so I wasn't too surprised at his loss to Moreno. The first thing that jumps out on paper uh, when I look at the matchup between you and uh, and and Smolka is a lot of submissions, and, uh, you know, this this looks like the kind of fight on paper that could uh, could could turn into some uh, pretty intriguing grappling, perhaps. Your, your thoughts on that? Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, I, I'm almost 100% positive this fight's probably going to go to the mat at some point, and it's going to be a non-stop scramble fest you know it's going to be high high action paced uh and there's going to be a lot of th submissions thrown at thrown at each other a lot of submissions defended and you know we'll see how it goes you know uh uh when uh moreno last fought which was uh the ultimate fighter finale uh back at the beginning of uh this month you know that was a very big night for the flyweights there was, there was a lot of uh not only uh demetrius defending a title uh tough competition but the co-main between uh uh benavides and uh cejudo uh it felt like there was a lot of movement a lot of growth for the flyweights that night that's your division so your thoughts kind of on the division as a whole and where you think of a win after uh over uh Smolka uh, Friday night will kind of put you in that equation because there's some names of people that, that are at the top that you have not fought. Yeah, definitely. You know, I uh, the tonight or the, it was a huge night for the flyweights. It really showed that we're we're exciting, man. You know, we don't just because we're so technical and move so much doesn't mean we're not exciting. And I think a win over Smoka puts me right back where I want to be, which is you know climbing the rankings one by one and taking these guys out until until I reach the top. Ray Borg, good luck in there uh, Friday, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate Thanks, it. Yeah, no so, you know, particularly with the comments of Lewis Smolka there, Frank, and, and I asked him there at the end if I felt like his win, if he could get a win uh, over Borg, would kind of get him back in that title conversation. I, I think he took it a little literally. He was saying, well, I don't think I can get a title shot off of a one-fight win streak. I, I didn't mean literally a title shot, but, you know, he's a guy who, you know, that flyweight division, you and I talk all the time about the dominance of Demetrius Johnson. The problem is there's just not a lot of guys in that division who aren't, at least in the top 10, who aren't already associated with one or more losses to the champ, Mighty Mouse Johnson. So when you got somebody like Lewis Smolka, even though he suffers a setback against Brandon Moreno uh, a few months ago, boy, if he can just get a couple of more wins together, you know, uh, it, it seems like he could get himself uh, back in that conversation fairly quickly just by virtue of the fact that he, he hasn't been matched up against uh, Demetrius yet. I agree with you, and I think that uh, I agree with what point you're making with him. You know, at this point, you know, they're just trying to look for guys that have different names and to make up matchups. So even if somebody is more deserving as far as a win streak, you know, you know, they could possibly see themselves in a title shot with Demetrius because it's somebody new. Um, you know, you look at some of the other guys out there, you know, like Joseph Benavides might be the biggest victim of in the world about that. I think what he's now on a six-fight win streak. Yeah. Uh, he just beat, you know, uh, the number uh, two guy, and so he's a solid number one. And, uh, you know, I don't think people are clamoring to see a third time title shot for him so I think that you know definitely the door is open there just to string together a couple wins 
be somebody new and, and you could find yourself fighting Demetrius Johnson. Now, this card uh, to your heavyweight division, Frank, was supposed to feature Cain Velasquez taking on Fabricio Verdum in their rematch. That fight was called off uh, just within the last few days. Cain Velasquez gave an interview saying that he is going to require surgery right after the fight and uh, that he was having it was a sciatic nerve issue I believe he said and that he was having a hard time standing for longer than 10 minutes that's a bad sign when you're booked for a 15 minute fight and you can only stand for 10 yeah well, I guess you hope you know you know a couple of minutes on the ground a couple minutes on the stool right right <laughs> yeah but you know I that's one thing that's always been uh, I've always heard about you know Kane is you know is a phenomenal fighter great work ethic but uh, he doesn't know how to train anything besides uh, you know full tilt you know balls of the wall and, and his body over the years has suffered for him so you know in, in each camp he's not getting younger so if he's a, you know his approach to fighting is just gonna you know, he has to change away his training regimen and it might be too late it might be that he's accumulated so many energy uh, so many injuries from such a rigorous training regimen that that uh, you know that his you know he's just too beat up to continue on fighting at a high level yeah look uh uh, Fabricio Verdum making a little bit of news yesterday during the Dana White scrum because uh, Dana confirmed that Fabricio had turned down a couple of fights to stay on this card, or at least one opportunity, which was Junior Dos Santos. He said he was willing to fight Junior Dos Santos, but that he wanted $500,000 flat to do it. Uh, to Dana's way of thinking, that's turning down a fight. They, you know, Dana said yesterday, well, there's ways of turning down a fight. You know, you can say, hey, I don't want that fight. I'm not ready for it or whatever. It's too short of a notice. Or you can say, I'll take it, but pay me $500,000. I don't have Fabricio Verdum's last payout right here in front of me uh, as, as I drive toward the brothel. But I guess it's well south of $500,000 of a guarantee. Does that seem like a uh, an unprecedented or an unreasonable request to you, Frank? And does it surprise you at all that the UFC is not super anxious to meet that request in order to keep uh, a heavyweight like Verdum on the card? Well, I mean, it doesn't surprise me that he didn't want the fight, but I think he could have gone about it a different way. I think Dana called it as far as there's different ways to bow out of a situation. You know, you can make the other person, you know, make a demand that you know is not going to be reached. And it looks like that's what Fabrizio did in this situation. I, I think a, a more honest and more acceptable and hard to argue against reply would have been if I'm training for Cain Velasquez for the last 10, 12, however many weeks, and you're telling me five days before the fight that I'm going to be fighting a completely different style of fighter. I mean, Cain is a busy fighter, throws lots of strikes and heavy wrestling, whereas Dos Santos is a power puncher who doesn't throw a lot of strikes, but when he does, you know, he's super fast and takes your head off. Um, they're pretty much polar opposites as far as stylistically uh, as a fighter. And so you can sit there and just say, hey, guys, all my training partners, my whole camp has been geared towards fighting fighter A. Right. I'm not prepared to fight fighter B at all. Uh, you know, the distance, the range, the style, I have, you know, my timing has been set towards this. You know, even if it had been two or three weeks, maybe I could have turned around, give me a couple sparring sessions with, you know, a boxer who doesn't want to be taken down. Um, 
uh, I could have maybe made something work with it, but I just don't feel comfortable taking that kind of career risk. I think most intelligent people would have sat there and went, eh, makes sense to me, you know, like, you're right, you know, like, you're, you're changing up the uh, game plan severely right up to the fight, uh, you know, that's going to be a hard, uh, you know, uh, thing to do. More big UFC news that came out of the scrum with Dana White yesterday, Frank. He confirmed to us in the MMA media that this uh, Friday, UFC 207 is going to be the end of a broadcasting era. It will be Mike Goldberg's last UFC appearance. The UFC not renewing his contract. Dana saying that uh, he's got plans, a big, big plan, something he's been trying to put together for a very long time moving forward. He said that that's not going to immediately be ready in time for UFC 208. He seemed to say that maybe by summer uh, the new broadcasting team could could be uh, configured. We know Joe Rogan just recently signed a new contract with a more limited work schedule. Although Dana wouldn't confirm who it's going to be that's going to be paired with Joe Rogan, the, the hot rumor, according to multiple sources now, is that it's sports broadcasting personality Jim Rome. Uh, I don't know a lot about sports outside of combat sports. I just know Jim Rome. He's a guy with a, a goatee, and uh, he's got a pretty strong shtick about him. He's like great. He's this guy. He's like, uh, let's go to let's go to Frank in Sacramento. Frank, what's your take? He's kind of that guy. <laughs> so uh, that's what I know. So first of all, Frank, uh, I guess your thoughts on the fact that uh, Mike Goldberg's leaving the organization. This is a guy who's been in the UFC, I think, about as long as you have. Yeah, he's been longer. Uh, kind of, you know, a uh, changing of the guard. Kind of interesting that uh, based upon the fact they didn't renew his contract. I'm kind of curious, you know, uh, you know what they are going to go. You know, where where's the uh, direction that the broadcast is going to take? And you know, and I almost kind of expected it to be a more uh, how should I say? Uh, big deal that somebody that's been a part of the organization as much as uh, Goldberg is uh, no longer going to be a part of it. Yeah, and you know, he always gets criticism from hardcore fans that I I think is a little unjust, and here's why. He's the play-by-play guy. The play-by-play guy's job is to constantly reset. It's kind of not unlike what you and I do here on Phone Booth Fighting. A long-time listeners will know that you know you, you you hear my voice first when we come on the air i tell you the name of the show i tell you who's hosting it if we're going to have a guest maybe i lead with that off the top and frank is the joe rogan frank's color you know he's the analysis he is the the fighter's perspective that i certainly cannot provide but uh you know if you had to juggle all the formatics frank of uh you know uh, telling everybody who's on the show and what's coming up and and you know I mean you're we've put you in charge of telling everybody how to follow us on social media I mean that's a that's a that 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 that's a big job in and of itself but you know if we if, if <laughs> we had all time with yeah but you know if we if we switched roles it would probably be pretty apparent on on both counts and so while Rogan is there as a you know a jujitsu black belt as a guy who short of having pro fights himself can certainly give a a good perspective or somebody like brian stan who is a former fighter dan hardy these are all color analysts so in the the play-by-play position you need somebody who is got who is i guess keeping top of mind that you are constantly bringing in 
new viewers and new fans. You can't expect that everybody's every fan is going to have the knowledge base of somebody who's been watching this sport for you know the better part of a decade or longer. No, I agree with you. Um, it's his job to ask the dumb question. Yeah, most hardcore fans know, and that way you know uh, it, it sets up joe rogan as the color guy to answer it. exactly and uh, i have seen people who get upset like oh, doesn't he know that i'm like yeah dumb shit he knows it <laughs> but the new people that might just now have been like the girlfriend that just got dragged in and has to watch the ufc fight yeah she probably doesn't know it so you can't sit there and just assume everybody is a high level mma fan yeah exactly so I, uh, I, I, of course, I don't like change. You know me. I have abandonment issues. I don't like change. I don't like people to ever go anywhere. I don't like people to move on. I don't like people. I, I just want everything. If I like something, I want it to stay just the way it is, and, and I'd kind of prefer this didn't get messed with. But it is getting messed with, so uh, uh, we'll, we'll see uh, who the next person is to come along. I do know that Goldberg is not just an MMA guy. I guess he has called hockey. I think he's big into hockey. And, uh, you know, I don't know if the, uh, if the new Vegas hockey team has uh, their play-by-play voices or whatever lined up. But that, that would be an interesting choice because it seems like maybe you'd have a guy who would, would have, a, by virtue of the fact that the UFC has always been va- based in Vegas, would, uh, you know, maybe already kind of have a connection there and, and help some, some fans cross over. I don't know if that's on the mind of the new NHL expansion franchise, but I'll just throw that idea out there for him. Yeah, totally. Uh, you know, like I said, I don't know. It's weird to me, and I, you know, and kind of shocking, I guess, because my whole UFC career, I've never, you know, Joe Rogan, or excuse me, uh, you know, Mike Goldberg has always been part of the company and calling fights. So, you know, it's kind of the same thing about, you know, when uh, Bert left. You know, it's like, wow, you know, time moves forward and things change, and it can make you feel a little uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah, well, Friday night will be uh, will be the last time we'll see Mike Goldberg in his official UFC capacity. So thanks for a lot of years of service for everything that uh, that he did. All right. Well, Frank, uh, we're, we're rapidly approaching that point in the drive out to the brothel where I lose cell phone reception. There's a there's a part of this journey that's kind of uh, Amelia Earhart like in terms of you you lose radio contact for a bit. Uh, it always comes back, but uh, I don't know if that has anything to do with the fact that I'm driving out to Area 51 or not. But there's a little part of it where uh, I, I lose connection. So uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and try to put a wrap on this one. Frank's going to get back to uh, communing with the in-laws. And then uh, when are you back in uh, Vegas, Frank, after the weekend? Yeah, I come back this time. Uh, obviously, uh or, you know, once everybody wakes up to New Year's, uh, we're going to jump on the road. Uh, good thing is I have Mrs. Mir with me who doesn't drink, so she'll be nice and perky, and uh, I'll just drag myself into the passenger seat and fall asleep. There you <laughs> Start go. Start to drive back home, and then uh, probably around Bakersfield, I'll, I'll be up and around, and uh, I'll take over the rest of the drive. There you go. Do you know the song uh, Streets of Bakersfield by country music legend Buck Owens? Surprisingly, I do not. Damn it! All right, that's another one I got to turn you on to. You'll you'll hear it in your head uh, after every time you drive through Bakersfield. You'll hear it in your head uh, after I I play it for you. It's a very catchy tune. We'll do that on our next road trip. Speaking of, I, I think you and I are going to be headed back to L.A. at least once uh, 
in January because I saw that your Russian fight promotion, ACB, has confirmed its U.S. debut. They're going to be coming to L.A. Are you, you going to be there for that card? I will be. Okay. Um, calling fights. And this time I won't have to be on a 20-hour uh, <laughs> plane trip. All right. Well, I'm, I'm coming along then. Let's make it a road trip. And uh, everybody loves the phone booth fighting road trips. The last time we got lost in a national forest. So we'll see if we can uh, find our way to the ACB fights. Okay. What's the date on that fight, by the way? Uh, it'll be December 13th. All right. Well, I hope it's not December 13th. We missed it. Oh, excuse me. January 13th. January 13th. Okay. We can still make that one. Uh, so uh, January 13th, if you're going to be in the L.A. area, make plans to come watch uh, ACB, uh, which is the fight promotion you've heard Frank call the, uh, the fights for. Normally uh, over in Russia, uh, they, they tend to be based uh, more over there, but they're coming to America. So we'll be uh, out there covering that. All right, thanks to all the fighters who uh, joined us that we heard from today, Dana White and uh, all the uh, news that they were able to provide from UFC 207 Fight Week. And uh, uh, I'm, I'm looking over at my, uh, my passenger in the car, Frank uh, Brooklyn. Are you a UFC fan? Do you have any idea what I've been talking about this whole time? Oh, I don't. I'm not a USC fan. <laughs> no idea. No idea. You don't. Do you know mixed martial arts? You ever heard about this cage fighting? No, I haven't. You ever? You ever heard of Frank Mir? No. Oh damn it, Frank! All well, right. You know what? It's probably a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. She does say she's heard of Ronda Rouse, uh, Rousey. Oh, okay. So, good. Okay. There's... So Ronda can be in trouble with Travis, so they can have all kinds of. <laughs> there you go. All right, Frank, you know what to do. Tell them how to find us on social media. Well, you're Phone Booth Fighting on Snapchat and uh, Facebook. No. Or, excuse me. No. Oh, I messed it up. Hold on. I'm going too fast. Take two. Facebook and uh, uh, Instagram. You can find us on Phone Booth Fighting. And on uh, Snapchat and Twitter, you can find us on Phone Booth Fight. That's it. You can follow Frank Mir on Facebook, official Frank Mir, Twitter and Instagram, at the Frank Mir. I am official Richard Hunter on Facebook and Richard Hunter on Twitter and Instagram. Want to buy official phone booth fighting merchandise? Of course you do. Phoneboothfightingshop.com is the website for official t-shirts, autograph posters, and the like. And in fact, our latest t-shirt design is discounted 20%, but only for a few more days, right up until uh, the clock strikes 2017 at midnight on uh, Saturday night. So uh, take advantage of the savings there at phoneboothfightingshop.com. I want to give a shout out to two of our listeners, uh, Frank. Uh, Tracy and Davin, they were in town uh, for the fights. They bought a t-shirt and uh, had emailed me and I said, well, you know what? If you're going to be in town. Uh, I'll just personally deliver the t-shirt. So I met up with them and I uh, I got a chance to pet their service dog. So they never miss an episode. I know they're listening now. I want to say hello to them. And basically, Frank, that's that's the phone booth fighting guarantee. If you're a listener to this show and you're in Las Vegas or you travel to Las Vegas, there is a possibility that one or more of the hosts of the show may just hand deliver your merchandise order. That's how full service we are. Actually, it's kind of funny. It worked out here, too. I was driving around here in a Folsom area, 
and uh, my wife and I were talking to my sister-in-law about possibly moving up here and things. I'm like, well, you know, Uriah's gym's up here. There's fighting gyms, you know, maybe possibly. As I pulled up, I seen a jiu-jitsu gym. I'm like, oh, no shit, right there on the right. And, uh, I saw a guy who was obviously, his name was Jay, <laughs> a, uh, an obvious jiu-jitsu practitioner walking out of the gym. So I just asked him, like, hey, who trains here? And, like, he looked over. He's like, oh, shit, I, I was just listening to you guys' show. Yeah, you know, and we started talking huh. about you know, uh, uh, Santiago Beta was his coach that was there. And so, uh, yeah, <laughs> fans all over the place. All right, Jay. Well, shout out to Jay up in Sacramento, too. Thanks for being a listener to Phone Booth Fighting. If you uh, would like to tell a friend how to become a listener to Phone Booth Fighting, that would be fantastic. What you need to do is tell them that we upload this podcast twice weekly. It's available on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, SoundCloud, or uh, basically wherever you find podcasts. Uh, you can also get it at phoneboothfighting.com. Please tell a friend about the show. It's really the most valuable thing you can do for us. And if you go to our iTunes page, Phone Booth Fighting, on iTunes, click on the five stars, give us that five-star review. Helps keep us at the top of the podcast rankings. And if you have a moment, uh, write us a favorable line or two in the way of a review. I saw that uh, some more people did that over the past week. Got a chance to read those, and we'll be reading them on the air here uh, probably on our next episode once Frank is back from Sacramento. All right, Frank, you going to be uh, checking out the fights Friday night? Uh, you got a place to watch? I'm going to try to. Uh, All right. I'm told we have a place to watch, but you know it is when you're out of town, you're kind of at the mercy of others. Absolutely. Well, Frank will be watching from Sacramento. I will be octagon side at the T-Mobile Arena this uh, Friday night. Tomorrow night, I'll be live tweeting at Richard Hunter if you want to follow along, and I'll be in the uh, post-fight press conference asking of course all the hard-hitting questions frank so uh look for me doing that for frank mir i'm richard hunter and this has been phone booth fighting everybody was